that you remember. Write that down. You'll need that. What is the first major news event that you remember? I ask this not to date us. Though inevitably what's about to happen is that we are going to be dated. Who would like to share with the room the first thing that they remember historically? Could you raise your hand? The first thing that you... Yes, ma'am. Five years old. Okay, great. Challenger. Not great. It was terrible. But I'm glad that you said... So, someone else. Someone else. The first major news event that you remember. Yes, Dave. The assassination of John F. Kennedy. Okay, someone else. Nathan. The Berlin Wall coming down. Okay. I remember a lot of these. Okay. Not that one, David. <laughs> someone else. Thank you, Brett and Taylor. I'm glad they're here. Musicians help out because they're the only people who sit on the first two rows. So, someone else. Could you just raise your hand? Okay. Yes, ma'am. I remember that. I remember. Okay. Anyone else? Over here. This side of the room talks. Yes, Ty. Yes, sir. Yes, sir. Yes. The impeachment of Bill Clinton. Okay. Uh, behind. Yes, behind Gloria. One more time. The Cuban Missile Crisis. So these are all points of reference for us. We all have those. I, I've got points of reference. You have points of reference. I remember when the Challenger exploded. That, that was mine. I, I remember some of the other ones that let me know that you're younger than me. And some of you are older than me. I, I, these things help us to place ourselves historically in context with what goes on around us. And it helps us not to live in a vacuum or in a bubble. It helps us to see that the idea of a broken world or, or a fallen world or a world that is messed up on a on large scale from 50,000 feet, it, it's been present for a long time. So for every time that we look at our world and say that it's worse than it was, I, I want to remind you that we have these points of reference to let us know there has always been sin invading and infecting us. And we look into scriptures and we even see pictures of that in scripture where it is obvious that sin is invading and infecting the people that Jesus talked to, that Jesus spent time with, that the people that were before the earthly life of Jesus, they would have points of reference and say, this was wicked, this was wicked. We've always had wickedness. But the hope for that wickedness has always been the glory of God revealed to us in Jesus. So when we go to Isaiah chapter 6, which is where we are today, in the year that King Uzziah died, I saw the Lord sitting upon a throne high and lifted up. The first thing that we see is the glory throughout. That's where we're going to go, verses 1 through 3. Above him stood the seraphim, each had six wings, with two he covered his face, with two he covered his feet, and with two he flew. And, he, and one called to another and said, Holy, holy, holy is the Lord of hosts. And the whole earth is filled with His glory. 
When Isaiah mentions the death of King Uzziah, that is a mile marker in the lives of the Jewish people. It is a point of reference, very much like the points of reference that you've given me from around this room, that we would look and we would say, I remember this. So that from this point forward, every Jewish person would look and they would say, I remember when that happened. Or I remember when my mom and my dad told me about that happening. I remember. But it's not just... A historical thing for Isaiah. This is personal for him because they're family. And Uzziah was a good king. They didn't have many of those. If you spent much time around the Bible, there were not many good kings. We only have a couple of cartoons with vegetables singing about good kings. It's always bad. They're terrible. Uzziah was a pretty good king. He'd made some mistakes. It's a personal point of reference. But when he considered and when he evaluated and when he viewed this catastrophe, there was one thing that he sees in this vision which elevates that to a place of hope. From hopeless to hope. That in the midst of this, God is seated on his throne. In the year that one of the better kings in the history of Israel sat, was, died, the king of the universe was not rocked. Whenever we see the picture in scripture of God being seated on his throne, it communicates something really important to us. That God is in control. That in the death of a decent king, God did not say, oh my me, what will I do? But God looked and he was seated there, reigning and ruling over this national tragedy and over this very personal tragedy. To experience the glory of God. To see the glory of God in the midst of a circumstance and see that he's better. I met Brett last summer. We were in West Palm Beach doing a camp for an organization called Student Life. So we were there close to the Miami Dolphins and Dwayne The Rock Johnson and Vanilla Ice. And while we were there, I remember one night in particular where we had a a response at the end of worship. And I'm really careful with those. And and typically because of my views of salvation and how God works, most of the time I present that in a way and like two kids look at me like, is that, what are you saying? So uh, what happened that night was pretty, in and of itself was supernatural because around 65 students responded and said they wanted to place their faith in Jesus and, and I sent them to their, to their youth pastor. So I, here's how I typically do that so that I know what's happening. I bring them to the front just so I can look at them and, and be able to say to them, hey, the, the prayer you just prayed didn't save you and your trip here didn't save you. If you are saved, it's because Jesus saves you. So I've got these kids gathered up. Brett's playing behind me. Taylor, who's with Brett, also playing behind me. And I'd send them to the youth pastors because I want them to deal with whatever's happening. And, and while I'm there, there's a little boy standing in front of me and he's waving. He's a middle schooler. So that lets you know how nervous my heart was because he wanted to talk to the room. And I typically don't let middle schoolers talk to a room. I typically don't let middle schoolers talk. I didn't know what he needed from me. I did not know if he'd lost his phone or his fidget spinner or if he was looking for deodorant. I didn't know why it was there. 
And Brett's playing behind me and I've got that in my ear and he begins to, to yell words at me. And he said, I want you to pray. Well, of course we're about to pray. We're about to wrap this thing up. I'm going to get some Cuban tacos. What do you need? So I kneel down and there's a kid named Andy. And Andy said, I have brain surgery next week. And I want these people to pray for me. I'm trying to dismiss him. So I pull him on stage. And no matter how difficult the situation was, he still smelled like a middle schooler. And he's standing beside me. And and, and I kind of lean into Brett to tell him what's happening. And Brett's tearing up. And I'm weepy on the inside. So we pray over Andy. But when we prayed, I had everyone in the room extend their hands towards him. If you were to look at a picture of that night and you did not have any idea as to the context of the situation, you would think that I was starting a revolt. Like I had a small nation that we're leading somewhere. We all prayed for this little boy. A little boy who had a natural tragedy but believed that the Lord was seated on his throne. A little boy who would tell me at lunch the next day, all that I know is that God's people are supposed to ask him for things. This little boy helped me to see where we're going here. That the God of the Bible is a big deal. And he may not heal, but he might. He'll always listen. He'll answer. In the year that King Uzziah died, I saw the Lord sitting upon the throne. God was in control during these assassinations. God reigned and ruled when spaceships did not launch the way they were supposed to. God reigned and ruled in Andy's life when he was diagnosed with cancer. God reigns and rules. God never stops reigning and ruling. He is the God of the Bible. His glory extends throughout the entirety of creation. We see God's glory throughout. Glory throughout. Above him stood the seraphim, each with had six wings. With two he covered his face, with two he covered his feet, with two he flew. These are also declaring the glory of God, their actual posture. Brett asked us to take a posture earlier. <coughs> and the posture of these angelic beings declares the, that God is a massive deal. Now, whenever we think about angels, we have to be careful not to think about chubby baby toilet paper angels because that's typically where my mind goes we think of Cupid shooting arrows at people this picture that scripture has painted for us and and the best illustration that I can give of this would be the comic book character Superman because we see him as regal and that's kind of how he's portrayed even though he's in tights all of the time he is a 
powerful figure. And here we have these powerful figures flying around the Lord. But while they're doing so, they're covering their face, they're covering their feet, and they're flying. And they're declaring something together. And what they're declaring together is that God's glory extends throughout. And here is how they declare that. Holy, holy, holy is the Lord of hosts. And the whole earth is full of his glory. Now, look, I I know my voice. And I, I know that my voice does not quite convey the effect and the impact of that. Because when I drive through at Taco Bell, they still say, Ma'am, would you like to order anything else? Which is terrible. So I start talking like Mr. T or something. I'm pitying the fool and getting a chalupa. But when we read through this passage... My voice doesn't convey it, so I need help. So uh, let's start with that verse again. Uh, I will read the first part, and then we're all going to declare that together. Holy, holy, holy is the Lord of hosts. And one called to another and said, everyone, holy, holy, holy is the Lord of hosts. And the whole earth is full of his glory. Now we read that like mainline Presbyterian. So I want us to back off of that, and we're to come at it again strong. Like you mean it. Like you mean that you believe while you're here. Like you mean that you believe that God answers prayers. That God doesn't stop reigning and ruling. And one called to another and said, Holy, holy, holy is the Lord of hosts. And the whole earth is full of his glory. We're getting there. The word holy means set apart. They live in a world where bread's a big deal. And when the priest, or when the bread maker, we'll call him Peter, for the double reference to the Hunger Games and to the type of bread. When Peter, when he would cut into the bread... He would take some and put it to the side for the religious leaders. And that bread was designated as holy bread. Set apart bread. So what these angels have just declared and what we just declared together is set apart, set apart, set apart is the Lord of hosts. And the whole earth is full of his glory. This means that God is unaffected by our sin. That God is in his dwelling among us, does not cease to be God because we are wicked. He always reigns and rules. He is set apart. The whole earth is full of his glory, God's glory throughout. However, we read this and we may miss that God's glory throughout does not save Romans 1 tells us that God's presence extends to the ends of the earth. His his presence is is made known and it is enough to damn, to separate people for forever. But God does a unique work, the glory of God within, glory within, if you're a note taker. Point 1, glory without, glory throughout. Point 2, glory within. The foundations of the threshold at the voice of him who called. And the house was filled with smoke. And I said, Woe is me. Because I'm lost. 
I'm a man of unclean lips. And I live among a people of unclean lips. And my eyes have seen the King, the Lord of hosts. I think we read that and and where our mind goes is that Isaiah is some type of pirate. Some sailor who could not control his mouth. He said inappropriate things and did inappropriate things and lived in inappropriate ways. And his people were worse than him. Evil, wicked people. But Isaiah's not that. Isaiah's a prophet of the Lord. Isaiah was a religious leader. Isaiah was someone that we would look to and we would say we wanted our lives to line up with. What he's saying... For the first time I've really seen God. And seeing God here helps him to realize his separation from God. Religious people are an odd lot. We're just different. I I don't know that if you realize this or not. But you made a decision this morning that numbers of your neighbors did not make. When you bow your head after the third bite that you eat, that's what most of us do, right? We are making a decision that many people in our community do not make. When you open your Bible... To read from it. You are making a decision unlike the decisions that many of your friends and family may make. Here's what's taking place. You are having an experience that is based upon our faith system that is inevitably a religion. We do things differently. Now what Isaiah is saying here is though I've been doing things differently every single day Here, now that I've experienced the glory of God, I I see that I'm just like everybody else. This picture of who God is carries weight and momentum. The glory of God. And then we see God do something that only God can do. Then one of the seraphim flew to me, having in his hand a burning coal that he had taken with tongs from the altar. Whenever we read through the scriptures, we see fire throughout. We see lots and lots of fire. And fire typically does a a cleansing work. Fire leads. The children of Israel were led by a pillar of fire. We see when Elijah met with God that he called down fire from heaven. God reflecting himself. Even God's judgment is represented with with fire. But in this place where Isaiah is, 
One of the seraphim flew to me, having in his hand a burning coal that he had taken with tongs from the altar. Because this altar, meaning the place where we meet with God, he'd met with God there. And in this meeting with God, he flies and takes this coal. And he touched my mouth and said, Behold, this has touched your lips. Your guilt is taken away and your sins are atoned for. Isaiah realized his distance and God covered the distance. Isaiah realized that he was not one with God. And the word that we read in the original language is, Here God made him at one with God. Your guilt is atoned for. So Isaiah... This man who realizes how sinful he is to the point of using a reference to dung. That's what he means when he talks about uncleanliness. I'm so far over here and I can't do anything about me being over here. Now God has revealed himself to me here. God. I don't know that I've experienced anything like that as what lots of us think. This magnificent movement of God in my heart, in my life. God. Hold your place in Isaiah and turn to John 12. Or just listen if you're a listener. Jesus had shared with those who were hearing... The Son of Man must be lifted up. In verse 36 of John chapter 12, we read this. When Jesus had said these things, he departed and he hid himself from them. Though he had done so many signs before them, they still did not believe him. So that the word spoken by the prophet Isaiah might be fulfilled. Lord, who has believed what is heard from us and to what? And to whom has the arm of the Lord been revealed? Therefore, they could not believe. For in another place, Isaiah said, He has blinded their eyes and hardened their hearts, lest they see with their eyes, and they turn with their heart and, and turn, and I would heal them. Hear that again. He's blinded their eyes, and he's hardened their hearts, lest they see with their eyes and understand with their heart and turn, and I would heal them. Verse 41, Isaiah said these things... Isaiah referenced these things because he saw the glory of Jesus and he spoke about him. So we go Old Testament and, and everything in the Old Testament seems so massive and huge. And God spins things and just speaks things into existence. And God interacts with people in these earth-shattering ways. And, and God moves and so often, if we're not careful, we are very distant from that. Yet what this scripture has just said to us is that for every one of you who claim faith in Jesus, and it actually is your faith, what Isaiah experienced as the glory of God was the glory of Jesus. They are not separate. So for believers that gather in this space on Sundays and go to our life groups on whatever night you go.
you're telling me that you have fully experienced Jesus. then all these Old Testament actions, you've experienced those as well. Because in knowing Jesus, you know God. If you do not know Jesus, you do not know God. The glory of God within us, made known to us, fully, unfathomably, fathomable so when we sing songs about God being with us we're singing that Jesus is with us that's what you declare it's what we carry glory throughout glory within verse 8 shows us glory in 2 That God's glory would go into the world. That God's glory would go after God's glory. Isaiah, he's pretty hyper at this point. Skittles and stuff. And I heard the voice of the Lord saying, Who will I send? And who will go for us? I I think whenever we consider being, even answering this question, inevitably our hearts zoom in to our own imperfections. Because we have short-sighted the glory of God that we've experienced in Jesus. Because we've downplayed the glory of God that we see when we open this book. And sometimes just because we're lazy. We use excuses. And we allow, and even in that, we allow our imperfections or our personalities... To become cages for us. I could never go. Because I make really bad decisions. Side note, join the club. I I could never talk. Because I'm an introvert. Popular word. No one would ever listen to me. And what we are attempting to do is to pour cups of water on a fire that has raged from the very beginning. You and I can do anything that God tells us to do in regards to those around us because you say that God is with you. But Isaiah doesn't do it out of duty. He does this out of delight. 
Whom shall I send and who will go for us? Plural words used. Father, Son, Spirit. And then I said, here I am, send me. I don't know if you've ever been excited about anything that you would go do and that you would be able to participate in. Isaiah is obviously excited. That's why the exclamation point's there. Then he gets told where he's going and what he's doing. And that doesn't sound super fun. You're going to go and they will not listen. You will speak and they will not hear. You will stand in front of them and they will not see. Have fun. But our pursuit of people does not end in people. Our pursuit of people, glory of God, is for the glory of God. So Isaiah goes after. And speaks and teaches because God's glory is something that is throughout the entirety of the earth. That he wants to be acknowledged. Not just acknowledged... But celebrated. Not just celebrated, but delighted in. When you go to do what you do, where you work, where you live, with the people that you interact with, there will be some who do not hear, some who will not respond, some who could care less. But you tell me that you have delighted in the glory of God because you've acknowledged it and you've celebrated it. Do we want our neighbors to do that? Our friends and family to do that? Here we are talking about other people again. There is no orthodox understanding of the Christian faith that does not see us as a sent people. And if you are not seeing us as a sent people, then that is heresy. No matter how much Bible you have memorized. We are sent to the ends of the earth for the glory of God because God matters. We pursue because we've been pursued. We pursue what has overtaken us. That's what Paul says to us in Philippians. Philippians chapter 3. Not that I've already obtained it, the idea of God's perfection or the glory of God made fully known, but I press on to make it my own because Christ Jesus has made me his own. It's, it's summertime and you've probably heard of a place called Disney. If you've not heard of Disney, you have now. And Disney, here's the thing. Babies don't come out of the womb wanting to go to Disney. No matter how much that gets told to us, that is not what happens. What takes place in this child's life is that a mother talks to a more experienced mother and she hears that if you will turn the television on this channel for 21 minutes a day, you will get 21 minutes of peace and quiet. So they turn to Disney Junior. The mother tells the dad about the 21 minutes and it multiplies from 21 minutes to 4 hours and 15 minutes. And all that Disney is doing with those various characters from their shows, whether it's Jake and the Neverland Pirates, or it's Doc McStuffins doing full-scale operations on a stuffed sheep, or it's big-headed Sophia, and we all know she has the biggest head on earth. They are 
reaching into your children's lives. They are communicating subliminal and sometimes not so subliminal messages that your children should want to interact with them regularly. Your child will then be informed that they should pick up this animal and this toy, that they should watch this other show, so that their lives, if we're not careful, revolve around Disney. We are tied to Disney. They have reached into us. So then you and your children, one day, you've been watching this. You, as a parent, have been overhearing this accidentally while you're checking your Facebook page. Eventually it comes to you that you should go to Disney. You should make your pilgrimage to capitalist Mecca. And when you make this pilgrimage, you and your family on your trip to Disney, what you are doing is that you are going to experience something that has been revealed to you all along. Far before you, re- they, far before you came after them, they were coming after you. Before you ever spent any time there, they had made themselves part of your homes and houses. We as believers say that God has made himself known to us far before we ever knew him. Scriptures tell us that God loved you before you ever loved him. You have had him made known to you in Jesus. That is not a lesser God. That is fully God has been shown to you. The spirit that we downplay in Baptist settings sometimes is alive and well in each one of us. And that is not a lesser God than the God that we see here with Isaiah. He has made himself known to you over and over and over. When will you choose to pursue him in return? To the ends of the earth, passing your neighbor, saying you've got to see what I see. You've got to know what I know. You've got to love what I love. You've got to be part of this thing worth celebrating. The glory of God made known to us in full. That's Jesus. Because when Isaiah speaks of God's glory, he speaks of Jesus. When we speak of God's magnificence, we speak of Jesus. You cannot read this book and not see Jesus. So let's center our lives and center our directions on Jesus. Should you bow your heads with me? Jesus, you are good to us. And I thank you for the sweet people here who love you. I thank you for those who want their neighbors to know you and experience you and see you in full. God, I pray that you will continually stir in us a desire for your name to be made known to the ends of the earth. And you will help us to realize that the ends of the earth, as we head there, we pass the edges of our neighborhoods. God, I pray that we would delight in you, find our hope in you, That we would adore you. Because if we do not delight in you, then we do not find true delight. Reveal yourself in full to us as your people. 
and to reveal yourself through your people. We ask this in your name, Jesus. 